0: Before I start, I would add what is I, <laughs> I have everything I written mean, down. By, <laughs> no, I have everything written down but the title of the book. <laughs> what I have like pages of questions. What is the title of the blame? What?
1: Leave uh, without blame.
0: Uh, <laughs> but that's lead without blame. <laughs> All right. Well that's good. That'll loosen things up. Here's All right. Uptake. Are you ready? <laughs> Jobs to make that switch from old to new. For you it did for me. Here here Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilists and Trisha Broderick is here. Trisha, thank you for making time this afternoon. Um oh, I'm I've already
1: here. i I'm I'm am glad just to seeing your face.
0: <laughs> it's nice to see you too. And uh, I've already completely messed up the beginning of the podcast, so we got that out of the way. Um, it's done.
1: It's you know you just got to start strong, just like that.
0: It's, and it's an iterative thing. I'm trying to make sure now that my head is relatively the same size as the other person's, and that we're looking in the same basic direction. Um, <laughs> was this gonna, an
1: issue before? Were you much? Yeah, smaller? there's one. I
0: just did one where my head's like this, and the other person's <laughs> like yours, and it just looks really. And you can't fix that. I think it was with Derek Ether, and I can't fix that when that happens. So. It's not like I can shrink my own head and post. Um, all right, so we're going to talk all about Trisha's new book, Trisha and Diana Larson's new book, which is called Leave Without Blame. Um, and that, that's the main focus. But before we get into that, um, if there's anybody who has been living under an agile rock and doesn't know who you are, how do you explain to people what you do? Because you do a lot of different stuff.
1: I do. Um, I I think how I'm starting to kind of explain what I do most is I'm a leadership advisor, like, okay. I, I believe in the hope and, and the potential of what leaders can bring into this world. And I also know that many of us, myself included, we're not necessarily always given the right tools or advice, <laughs> or expectations yeah. and uh, training. And so I try to help leaders achieve what they're ultimately trying to achieve, what they're trying to do, be successful for the customers and, and to create environments where people are successful as well. And I think that's the goal for many people, but I think a lot of people end up in leadership where they want that intent. That's their goal, but they don't necessarily know how to do it. So I I kind of refer to myself now as a leadership advisor. And so that might take in the form of coaching or training or, um, giving advice or critique at times, um, okay. but in different ways for different people.
0: It's almost like you have to overcome the way, I mean, for most of us, and we've talked about like what you went through when you were kind of coming up, but you have to overcome what you learned by the leaders who, who kind of guided you along. Cause a lot of their practices weren't always that healthy.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's not just learning it's unlearning too.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and, okay.
1: yeah, and, and realizing okay, what, what really did get the results from that? Because sometimes we can get results and we think it was because of this when in reality it was something else. And, and we then start telling ourselves a different narrative and, yeah. and then that narrative sticks. And all of a sudden we're seeing all these bad results, but we don't understand because it doesn't align with the narrative we've told ourselves all these years. And so um, sometimes it, it is as much about unlearning as it can be learning.
0: Yeah, I think that, that, I mean, this is a complete, we haven't even gotten to the book yet and I'm already going down a rabbit hole, but the narrative thing is really important because we're all telling ourselves the story of what we want to have be the reality of what happened. And regardless of, I mean, we're never right. Whatever happened is not what we think it was, but I think you have to be open to the idea that your perception, no matter how clear and true you try to be, is probably wrong. Yeah. Or, or,
1: it or it might
0: not align corrected. with your intention. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. so who did you write this book for and what was like the main purpose in coming together to put all this down? It's a lot of work.
1: Yeah, yeah it was a lot of work. Um well, it kind of feeds off what we're just talking about, is is we wrote this book for leaders, not just agilists, but leaders, in terms of giving them some tangible topics and skills and in a practice and in a way to help have the difficult conversations that we sometimes bury as leaders that yeah. we avoid as leaders that we um gloss over or just don't even know is important and we have you know pure ignorance and, and naive yeah. kind of approach to it and so we wrote it for leaders that who want those results, but are not quite achieving them, or can't find themselves like frustrated by what's happening and why am I always dealing with this? Why do I always have to be the go between or the person that makes the decision and all of that kind of dynamic. And, and so we wrote it for leaders who want to lead, but maybe not always given the information to make that happen.
0: For the space yeah that was one so I, when i've been listening to the audio book and one of the things that's interesting as you talk to the examples is there's places where you create sort of empathy for or have empathy for the manager like they're behaving a certain way here's why and i think most of us are just like oh that jerky manager and we don't take the time to think that like well they didn't actually get up this morning to like screw with me all day long Yeah, uh, and the same yeah. goes for the person on the team it's like We all are the center of our own narrative and everyone else is like an antagonist, (laughs) but that's not how they're living their lives.
1: No, I remember sitting, I don't know what year it was. It was early on. It was like, for me anyways, in the Agile space, it was probably like 2008-ish year timeframe. And I was an executive, I was the director of development, and I was attending the main big Agile Alliance conference. And I was sitting in a session, it was Declan Wheelan session. And the amount of executive bashing that was happening was out of control. And I'm sitting in this room going, but I'm here, I'm trying to learn. But I gotta tell you, I'm not coming back if this is <laughs> like if this is the yeah. community. And 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 there was this like frustration because I, as you said, I've never sat in a meeting and went, let's think about how we mess with everybody today. Like that's never been on the agenda. <laughs> and yet. I do get kind of called out sometimes that people will say like, I'm the, I'm the manager, senior leader, empathizer and stuff. But the reality is, is most are not walking around with really bad intentions. Most people are not walking around going, who can I blame and shame today?
0: Yeah.
1: There's a narrative with it. There's a justification with it. There's a, weight and a responsibility that causes some of that. And there is sometimes just a lack of awareness of what the consequence of that is, right? Yeah. We say we're trying to hold somebody accountable, but we don't actually understand that that then turns around to people going, well, I don't want to be the one that tries something because if I fail, I'm going to be held yeah. out it. Right. And, and, and panicking with this. And, and so this is the dynamic of if, we're learning. Why are we not giving space for other people to learn? And so I, I will often get that question of how do you manage up, Trisha? And I always say, well, you don't, because if you try, you're already losing. You need to partner up, right? You need to help meet them where they're at uh, in their journey of learning and, and going. But if you're already acting like you're smarter, better, obvious than the other person, you're done. You're not collaborating. Yeah. You're not going to help. And, and it's also condescending, right? Like they are where they're at from experience, from knowledge, from things. They have value that they're bringing. And yes, maybe they are causing consequences. I have caused tons of consequences as a leader right. that were unintentional and, and I wish I could take back, right? But that's part of my journey of learning. And so I much rather have the person willing to come into my office and go, hey, <laughs> this is happening than... Yeah. Then having somebody coming in and going, well, just get her out of the way, like getting me out of the way was never going to happen. And so yeah. who wants to partner with me in my learning versus try and manage me? Right. And okay. and if you don't want to be managed, why are you then trying to do it to somebody else?
0: So, And that's a, there's a really big theme in the book about moving from the idea of a knowledge worker to being like a learning worker or a part of a learning team or a learning organization and creating I don't want to just say like creating safety for, for that, but creating an environment that helps it occur, like enables it. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of leaders that, but we've been successful when I've had the single throat to choke when I've, yeah. when I've done this, it's called, got, it's it it got done. the results. And, and there is truth in the, if you're in a task-based world where somebody is doing the same task over and over and over again, it's yep. really easy to kind of, you know, command and control that. But, we're not just dealing with complexity these days. I mean, there's, who knows what the next pandemic is. I mean, there were murder hornets, there were fire tornadoes. I don't even know what this world is Thunders, snow,
0: of. all kinds of stuff, right? yeah.
1: And so it's not just complexity, it's chaos. And, and the only way you're dealing with complexity and chaos is through learning. So if you create an environment where people are so afraid to learn, afraid yeah. to make the mistake, afraid to explore, then you're in trouble because the only way you discover value, the only way you're going to deliver value and results is through learning because it's unknown. It's not been done mm-hmm. before. That's what knowledge work is. That's, But knowledge work and complexity and, and chaos means high trust environments. And and I can't be walking around worrying about if a finger is going to get pointed at me and things like that for me okay. to be able to innovate, to explore, to discover yeah. And so I think there's a lot of leaders that are like, but it was fine before. Well, one, was it really fine? Let's like, is that rewriting history? But two, are we dealing with different conditions in a different world right now where we have to learn even faster than we were before? And we have yeah. to be able to be, and this is why we called it resilient learning teams, right? Where we have to be willing to stick at it, to to keep going, to endure during that learning, because it just, it is endless.
0: So there, we were joking before the interview started about people who were like super nitpicky about certain parts of the book. And I'm going to do exactly what we were just making fun of. So um, (laughs) there's a thing that I, and I can't even see my notes because they're in my phone, which is what I'm recording it with. But um, there's a thing where you talk about a, a high performing scrum team, become, I think you, it goes high performing to resilient learning and the way it's expressed, yeah. it sounds like you hit the, you get to the one place and that's what enables you to move to the next. And that really struck a chord with me because I've talked to a lot of people over the last like year and a half who have this view of like the job of a scrum master is you get them to be delivering and then done, go work with seven other teams. Cause, and I'm always like, that's where the job starts, but I have had trouble explaining like, if they're that's like putting on your pants, right being able to deliver, and then you can go do amazing things, but I've struggled to articulate it, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that like moving beyond just simply being able to deliver and meet your commitments,
1: yeah, this came up even and and i this is one of those areas of like well. Things I've said in the past, I've evolved, I've grown, I've learned more about, right? Because for a very long time, I was like, yes, a high-performing team, it's self-organizing, which does not mean no leader. And I think a lot of people misunderstand that right off the bat, right? Yeah. Self-organization does not mean no leader. It just, it, how the leader's engaging with the team is different, right? They're not the hub, they're not the center point, they're not the, the person line. directing everything. But especially when COVID hit, there, I, I was working with so many people that were like, my team's doing that delivery. Like they're getting things done. And then COVID hit and just things blew up. Like, right. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just, we're going home and working from home. Like there was just suddenly people stopped collaborating. People started going back. Things that were under the surface, right. Those dynamics that are under the surface. Yeah. Bubbling up big time because yeah. it just now, was going we're not very resilient right <laughs> and so for me it was going oh i've always similar to you going well what i've had a lot of people go well once i get them self organizing team what do i do as a leader what's my job then and i'm like yeah. oh my gosh there's so many things it's different but you're leveling them up and this book really made it my, uh, Diane and I's attempt at trying to highlight what are you leveling up? You're leveling up their ability to have conflict. You're leveling up their ability to be inclusive. You're leveling up their ability oh. to build connections, power. And, and this, because these elements, these resilience factors are the game changer of whether or not they can handle going to COVID yeah. <laughs> issues, right? Can they work collaboratively together through issues in dealing with the fact that they're now, um have you know nobody's going to be going into the workplace or um that entire department shut down and and can they deal with those things and so yeah. in a lot of ways that resilience factors were the what as a leader are you leveling that team up on in the next guard because you can get them delivering and okay. barely deal with some conflict issues but yeah. guess what <laughs> They're there They're and there, they are yeah. going to bubble up and in, in really during a chaotic situation, they will destroy your team quickly.
0: Okay. So this is what you just said is really important to me as somebody who's still reading the book or listening to the book. I think as I'm going through it, I can see like go through it within the mindset of somebody who's leading teams or groups of teams. When I think of it from a coaching perspective, I hear it in a completely different way. And now with what you just said, if I'm somebody on a scrum team, in whatever role I'm in, or any kind of team, that's another way of leading from within that doesn't have to be like, I'm the manager, you're the underling. Correct. Okay. that's. What are the
1: topics that you need to be helping them build and to grow and to develop and to do together and learn together through? um and and really the part two of the book the resilience factors was the main like that's kind of to your first question like that was the main like let's hit on these topics let's talk about the topics that people talk about in surface but it's always at that kind of you know have conflict in a healthy way level yeah. right but not really kind of digging into it a little bit but when we were writing it, we realized that there was a whole swath of leaders that didn't have the basics to even get them to self-organizing, which needed the essential motivators. And so that's where the yeah. part one and the part two of the book came from. But we wrote it with that leader in mind of like, you need to first worry about these essential motivators. Cause you can't you can deal with conflict, but if they don't even understand their purpose, you're like <laughs> you're not yeah. gonna get them to this resilient learning team. Right. And 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 then when you have that base, those essential motivators motivators there, then start really digging into these resilience factors because those are the game changers that allow your team to keep taking it up and really learn in a way that produces results in chaotic and complex environments.
0: So with what you just said, there's there's a part in the book where, where you talk about how important it is for the people that are on the teams to understand like their purpose within the organization, the strategic intent behind what they're doing. So if I am turning the wrench on the thing, I understand how that impacts the rest of the organization in the same way that the guy sweeping up at NASA is putting someone on the moon. Is that like a precondition that has to be in place for me to be able to actually move on to the next step of trusting people and, uh, well, creating an environment where the teams can take ownership of that autonomy and start to learn and make those decisions for themselves?
1: So we very intentionally didn't make the essential motivators like this checklist thing or the resilience factors, the check, because I do think every team, every leader, it's situational, right? Um, And, and in some cases you have to build and the purpose element and even the autonomy element were out, you know, this is, Daniel Pink talks about it, Dave Marquette talks about it, Simon Sinek talks about it. We extended it from a team viewpoint with moving from mastery or competence over Mm -hmm. to co-intelligence, but what order you go into may vary for things. Now I would argue the purpose is probably a pretty <laughs> like early one, but well, I do also think that purpose evolves as you're going forward with it and that people get a better understanding as the autonomy and as the co intelligence builds yeah. that the purpose goes deeper with it. So I don't think it's ever a one and done kind of dynamic either.
0: I think it's, it's a thing that, I mean, logically you would assume it has to be there, but like, I know, of organizations I work with that want to hold people accountable for following strategic intent. But when I ask them, what is the strategic intent that you've communicated to them? They don't even know what it is. It's like they don't have the answer, so they want the person, someone else to have the answer. And it's it's I think what it uncovers is the fact that there is learning that has to be done at all levels, and there is fear and vulnerability at all levels, too.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think those are just words like they're, they're like even you hear I saying the words hair on the back of my neck just stood up like holding people accountable. Yeah. Like accountable just means to account, to report. It doesn't actually even mean you did it.
0: You guys, they go off on this in the book. You you went kind of nuts. You went kind of off on the accountable time.
1: I can't handle it. Like I can't. <laughs> it just it it like drives me bonkers. So and then on top of it, I, I've always asked this question throughout my entire career. When somebody's like, "Well, you're going to be held accountable for this," I'm like, "And what does that mean? Am I going to get fired? Yeah. Am I going to get publicly shamed? Am I going? What What does that even mean? And most of the time, nobody can answer that question. So we're all yeah. walking around saying the statement as leaders. And there's nothing to it, and it's actually not achieving anything. Versus creating an environment it creates where fear. People, it, and and <laughs> and
0: what and more do fear you need? Does not
1: get, sometimes fear can give you that short, quick time results, but not often if you needed to learn or be innovative not about it. Results, like, yeah. And and so this is more of like what what needs to be true in the environment. Whether it's the essential motivators or the resilience factors to help people be their best selves, to be their most creative, mm-hmm. to be their most innovative, to be to get those results, which is really what leaders want, anyways, but it is kind of really taking out away from that, as Christopher Avery will talk about, is like going away from obligation up into responsibility and yeah. and and really thinking about how are you creating an environment of responsibility? instead of walking around pretending that you're holding people accountable when nobody even knows what that means anyways.
0: So how do they, how does a leader, I'm going to, I use two examples from the book. Um, I'll ask the question and I'll give the examples. How do they get to a place where they are becoming more aware of these giant blind spots they have? There's the story about the one leader that can't get anybody to talk. And then he finds out that they're all afraid because he they think he never fails. So they don't want to try. And the the leader that wants to go into the retrospective, who thinks that that should be fine because they're not going to blame anybody. But the team's like, nah, they won't talk. Um, Leaders do have blind spots. And I think that I mean, just by the nature of the fact that you are organizationally above other people or placed above other people there's a reporting structure that, that creates power a, a power distance yeah and to be able to like stand in that space you have to like pump yourself up a little bit but how do you at the same time let everyone know like i fail all the time too and not have it come across as a sign of weakness
1: yeah so this is that's loaded okay there's multiple things in what you just asked there so um, let me first start off with one. I, I laughed when we Diana and I were writing this because Diana's like, okay, we got to change names. And, and if we change the story slightly, but these are real stories. These, and a lot of these are things that happened to myself and or Diana. And so there's always this fear when someone mentions a specific story that I'm going to like give the other name
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> or, or a different twist on the story, but they're all rooted in like actual stories, right. Um, that have happened to me. And so I think about it, first and like the becoming aware part of it is, is realizing that there's a quote that we have in the book, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly the same, but not all leaders deserve emulation. And a lot of times okay. you're leading thinking, this is what is best, because that is what you experienced, or that is what you that narrative that you've mm-hmm. told yourself, right? And not all leaders deserve emulation. And, okay. and if you want to role model and create an environment of learning, that needs to start with you. <laughs> and okay. and so if you're walking around acting like you've already got it all figured out, you're not experimenting, you're not ever messing up. What do you think the rest of the, what messages is that sending to the rest of your teams and and I was lucky in my career that I had created enough trust and environment where people did and were willing to approach me and go
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Trisha, right? you're, you're not. And I was like, what are you talking about? I fail all the time. And, but I also then have to realize that I wasn't sharing it. Um, and if you stop and think like, again, it goes to that narrative. We talk, we're It's weak. If we share that, we've made a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. That's the narrative. But the reality is, is think, just take a second, and think about leaders you respect most that have made the biggest impact. Did you think they were perfect? Right, yeah, no, yeah. in a lot of cases, you most connected with people because you thought they were real, they were authentic they yeah. they you could relate to them. well, you can't relate to somebody that's perfect because nobody's perfect right, right. and so if I think about uh, what am I really role modeling, what am I really asking of others? Am I doing it myself, and then it starts to become much easier to be vulnerable and to be authentic about it and and honestly, easier to lead because then I'm leading from a place of "here's an example where I did it," <laughs> versus okay. just you know, you do that, you yeah, be vulnerable, yeah. and 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 I mean, even writing this book, like I'll I'll use this as an example. I mean, it's still hard. I gave out we we sent out like a draft version of this. When I hit the send button to to send it to a couple people for the, I like physically got sick. <laughs> like I was like, oh my gosh. it's, I mean, it's not even grammar. Like it was, it was just, and I felt physically ill showing somebody a work in progress. And yet what do I ask of teams every single day to share their work in progress? And, and so it honestly, it's not about vulnerability for me. It's about relatability. It's about putting myself back in the shoes of somebody else and going, this is what I'm asking of them. And it's hard. Learning and being vulnerable are hard. And in this whole concept of like, it's business, it's not personal. Stop it. That's a movie quote about a mob family. Stop it. It's not (laughs) legit.
0: That's the one thing in the book that I was like, I don't know if I could get on board with the anti Godfather thing, um, but yes, it is a fictional story. <laughs>
1: I'm not anti Godfather. I'm anti God Godfather in the workplace of holding it up as the epitome of like business best practice yeah, yeah, yeah. advice.
0: Yeah. Um. So can I run a scenario by you and and because this ties back to what we're talking about? I had a situation long time ago, I was managing a team, ran a PMO, and I really wanted it to be as flat as it could be. So I had, I mean, I had probably already like 10, 15 years of experience. I had a 23-year-old project coordinator and people of various levels of experience. But the deal was when we interact and talk about what we're doing, anybody can question anything at any time. doesn't matter who you are. So I'm in a meeting, project coordinator, 23-year-old coordinators in there, starts like having at me about a thing that I had decided. And I was like, this is great, you know, and the meetings over and all these VPs have been in the meeting. One of them was like, prior, what the hell's wrong with your team? Why don't you get this in line, man? And I was like, I didn't even it was like we were talking two different languages. So there to me, I felt really great about the fact that I would created an environment where people would challenge me because that helps me get better. And they felt confident enough to raise whatever questions they had. But in the environment that we were in, it reflected very poorly on me in terms of the way the organization saw me.
1: Yeah. um, So that's where you're going with it is is a lot about the power dynamics element. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the resilience factors that we talk about. Um, First of all, kudos in creating an environment where people can speak up, right? Um, That that's a lot of people are like, well, I have an open door. You don't have an open door unless somebody uses it. (laughs) You know? That's good. Like, and so a lot of people will say things like, well, I'm just one of the team. It's flat. And it's like, it's not actually flat and one of the team unless people are talking, right? And so, yeah. but to recognize that that's there and it's not always out of fear. It can be out of influential. I, I mentioned this in a, uh, the first talk I gave about this. And, and Linda Rising was in the room when I was giving the talk at Agile 2022. And I went, Linda could look at me and say, the sky is purple. I'd be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I would just be like, okay, because she has impacted me and influenced me, and and I have so much respect for her that she has a power over me. Now, how she chooses to use that power or not use that power is important. But, like, so it's people often think of power dynamics as as negative, but sometimes, or fear based, but it can Mm -hmm. be respect based, it can be these different things. Now, so that's on one level of what you did within your team and 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 I wanted to call that out and highlight that mm-hmm. because you minimized the what what Diane and I called power over and and started really leveraging power with in those dynamics because power mm-hmm. dynamics are always present, but you had created a space where power with could really happen where that challenging can be there and in those discussions, yeah, now, for the second part of your question of like but what happens uh, so so. <laughs> This is the unfiltered Trisha right now. Yeah. Uh, this is where it. Uh, I may die on this battlefield of leadership, right? Growth in okay. hope because look, I've been told I'm too fluffy. Which anybody who knows me, I am not fluffy. I'm super vulnerable, super you know authentic, but yeah. fluffy not my thing, right? Right. Um, I've been told that I focus on people too much. I've been told that um, I'm going to fail. I've been literally told directly to my face, yeah, this won't work and you're going to fail and, or I'll watch and wait and see what happens. And, and this is where it takes a lot of courage on your part. Um, We talk a lot in the book about these like four C's as a leader of thinking about what is it, you know, what do you have to bring to the table Because the reality is, is you're going to have people tell you you're, you know, it's best to just not talk about the conflict, just avoid it. (laughs) And are you in a place where you have confidence in the team that they can handle that conflict? Are you in a place where you have compassion? Are you in a place where you believe in what you are creating so much that you're willing to take that visual hit initially? Because it always At least in my experience, majority of the time what I've had happen is somebody will be like, oh, yeah, like Trisha doesn't know what she's doing. And then sometimes it's a week later. Sometimes it's years later. They'll knock on my door and be like, so what are you doing? Like there's a – like what you're getting and the results you are getting. They see it. Yeah. They see it. And, And I have to be willing, comfortable, confident, courageous enough to know why I'm doing it and to be willing to do it, even if it is at a detriment initially to the, well, Trisha does it this way and she's to X, Y, or Z. Now I'll get okay. extra things because I'm a female or you know, other things sometimes as a leader. Yeah. And I have to be willing to hold that space. Like I had a, a lead developer once say, when I first got my director of development role, they like, well, if you coded with people, people will respect you more. I'm like, the worst thing I can do for you is code with you one, because no one should be coding. Like I should not be coding anymore. It's not. Right. I no Like, but two, if I can't gain respect except by doing your job, i shouldn't be in this role. This isn't what the role wow. is. My okay. role isn't doing your job. This role is a different job. And, and, but it could my earlier days i would have coded because i would i would hated the idea of somebody not respecting me that person is actually somebody i literally texted with today telling me how he was just talking to a junior developer over in amazon about how much of a difference i made for him right and i never coded with him never ended up coding with him and and I think this is one of those places where I had to learn better skills and how to react in those moments when somebody's coming at me with that, because okay. early Tricia, not so great. And still yeah. occasionally Tr- Tricia of today can get a little crappy, <laughs> okay. but I had to learn better skills of how to react in that moment. I had to build better confidence in myself and in my teams that what we were doing, I was playing the long game, not the short game. And I didn't okay. want to play a game at the expense of people. And as, and I would much rather lose a job or not be rewarded for the wrong thing yeah. than for the right thing. And, and I know I say that from a very privileged space of if, you know, you're trying to afford your family, you're in a certain area, you can't just get another job. I'm right. not saying walk around with, you know. Horrible fit, you know, yeah. visual sports people or or just crossing your arms and like, no, right. But there was a little bit of I respect why you are saying that, and this is my experience, and this is the way that I'm going to lead. And and I needed to always be able to sleep at night that I was doing the thing that I could be proud of, that okay. was putting people first. I'm not going to say that's always easy and I have definitely failed at it multiple times but I the more that I learned skills and honestly the more that I got results the yeah. easier it was to live in that space where people were judging me before they could see the results.
0: So you have to have a mission of your own enough conviction to kind of to weather the difficult parts. I think what you said about, you know, losing the job is is important in in that situation that I was in that was one of the times where I've been sitting there thinking like, well, you know what, if this, if this works out badly for me, this isn't the right company for me. And, and I, yeah, I don't that don't will be that hard, way. but. um,
1: But you're not going to be the type of leader you're going to want to be, or be proud right. of if you have to play those games. So I, I basically always hold to the, I am playing the long game, not the mm-hmm. short reactive game.
0: Okay. So I'm, I would like to go on a, Completely different path for a second. Um, and this is something else that I've been talking with other people about. There's a guy that I, I am friends with who I spoke with who was talking about his job and how he can't really prioritize and his trouble f- focusing because there's always new stuff coming in and everyone's distracted and it's a government job. And I asked him a question about like why he works there, like what is it you're trying to achieve? And he was like, what do you mean? I have a job. And sometimes, like, things kind of come back to me and kind of smack me upside the head. And this was one of those like, oh yeah, everybody doesn't wake up in the morning with like a, I have to go do this now. um, And, and work in a job where they are driven by a personal mission. And I, I know that you do. So can you talk a little bit about like what your mission is and how you found it and how do you help others find theirs?
1: Yeah. Um, so, so this is, this is where I always acknowledge the privilege that I have in that I can make choices and, and I have, but I've also, I, this privilege wasn't, uh, initially given privilege. So when I first started my career, like I was the person that I, I wanted to build my entire reputation on reliability, dependability, right? Like getting things done. Like mm-hmm. that was, I wanted to be that person. Cause in my mind, that person was indispensable. That person had a job. I did not have a basement to go back to live in. <laughs> like, yeah. I did not have um, support in that way to where it's like, Oh, I, I nobody expected me to go to college and it wasn't because my parents didn't care. It was just, that was just not a thing in my family. And, and, um, and so, for me, I had no Plan B, so I had to right. be successful in work, and I was driven that way for a very long time. And I, and I probably at the I will honestly say at the expense of other people, like a hundred percent. There's people early in my career that I'm like, oh, I probably wasn't a, a good collaborator with. I probably I wanted it was ego driven, right, early okay. in my career. Um, and then I had a very personal tragedy. Um, my first son was stillborn. And I'm very lucky in that um, I was working at a place where I had been working for the same person for a very long, like we, in fact, um, uh, he's actually one of the referrals on the back of the book, Ted Orr. Um, And so he was my boss at the time. And so he, he um, made it really easy for me to come back to work and things like that. But I, when I came back to work, there was just I, I, I didn't care. (laughs) I didn't care at all. Like suddenly that document that deliverable or that requirement specification, like none of it. Yeah. I could care. Priorities got
0: changed.
1: Yeah. My, well, I don't even know if it was priorities. It was just, perspective. I think it was perspective for me of what really mattered and what didn't. And so I went okay, well maybe it's just because I'm burned out on this job so I switched jobs and I went to this government related like healthcare co- project and and I fully expected myself to go in and be that Trisha that just got things done, right? But it just wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't um I was miserable. And the things that I was proud of before suddenly weren't working for me. But what I found was that every time I started helping people, I I had a question that I would walk around at that office at the end of it before I left every day. I'm like, do you need anything? And I would ask literally every single one of my team. And I had a big team on that project. And I would ask that question, do you need anything? And at the time, I didn't realize why I was asking that question, but one of the subject matter experts later ended up writing about the fact that I would always ask, do you need anything? And there was a, for me, I think what I needed, why I was asking the question was what I needed was them to need me,
0: Wow! but not in a
1: way that needed me to do their document, needed me to help them, right? Like I needed to feel not valuable but um necessary yeah like like a part like a part of mm-hmm. something like it was a part of something bigger and honestly it's this is all in hindsight at the time I don't know I was just asking the question like it, it was all well, unconscious right it's a
0: big thing too if, if they're your team like they're doing the work and you're in charge of the team so how do they need you how do you Valuable for right. Them.
1: And so I would just ask, and sometimes they would say, nope, don't need anything. Others would be like, yeah, I need a Coke. And I'd be like, I went and got them a Coke. Like it was the most, you know, and others were like, i am got to figure this thing out that we got to deliver. And I would help, you know, and brainstorm with them. So, yeah. but I did it for years and, and, and I didn't realize this during that project in a lot of ways, I was finding that new purpose. I don't think it was like okay. instantaneous by any means, but my purpose ended up becoming I can't change an organization. I can't change and guarantee company success. Okay. But I can make a difference for an individual. Okay. And if I can do it collectively for enough individuals, I can create a team that can make amazing things. And that was a big shift for me. Before it was always the deliverables now that shift became it's always the people and the people own the deliverables and that was a big shift of my purpose of like i'm here as a leader not to make sure things get done i'm here as a leader to create a space where people want to get things done
0: and can
1: get things done and that shift for me opened up one a ton of my brain <laughs> power and, and abilities, right. but also what was able to thrive in the environment. But I wouldn't say that purpose was like instantaneous, even known. Mm-hmm. I, um, it just slowly over time became much more and more about, and to the point that where I describe myself now as a leadership advisor. Right. right. Um, and, and so it is for me about helping people. And then I hope that the people help the organization and the customer and all of those things, but Even if the project's a complete flop, which would break me, (laughs) honestly, right? Like I'm still super, super on cloud nine at times when somebody will message me and just say, you just asked me how my day was, helped me to make it through today. And I don't think I realized how much that became my purpose. That was gradual for me.
0: Okay. But that and that's what drives you to this day, right? Yes, okay, so there's a
1: part of me that i mean and and to be just super vulnerable and honest about yeah. it, there has for me, there had to be a reason I survived my son's death, yeah, and if it's to help make others feel a little bit better help or to help make this world a little bit better, uh then that's what my confidence, my courage is all centered around.
0: Yeah, and I mean it's a great example of servant of leadership too. All the yep. different ways you're showing up for these people. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you're welcome. And I have had projects that are like total streaming disasters. Like you said that that would break you, and I have walked away from a couple of those projects feeling like that was the best project I've ever been a part of, all because of how well, I, treat, cases, how I worked with the people. Those people. <laughs> well, yeah, but but if I know that I have done everything in my power to support the people that I work with and and with the client to help them make good choices, they make the choices they're going to make. And if you want to drive your car into a brick wall, I'm with you, man. I'll sit in the passenger seat and call the ambulance and let's go. And yeah. um, I think that it, it also comes back to how you measure your own success too. Right. Because you shift it into people. And so it's the impact that you have on their lives. I mean, that and that definitely shows up in the book, too, I think. Um, yeah a lot of different. But it
1: places. wasn't it wasn't yeah. something that was like I just sat down and wrote down what is my new purpose. Like it, like it was it was a very gradual um check me at times. I mean it was a struggle. The agile community was huge in helping me like let go of some bad habits and right. and and narratives that I was holding on to. I mean it was it was a journey uh to to get in here. Um but but it definitely makes those harder conversations with others that say, well, Trisha, is this really, you know, I find holding people accountable successful. I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> um, but it makes that conversation much easier for me now. Um, but I have the skills. Well, you're also,
0: you're playing a longer better. game. I mean, holding yeah. people accountable is short-term win, but the, you're playing a game that's going to maybe not show its fruits for a generation or two. And that's one thing Shane Hasty said to me one time that it might be like our grandchildren that see the benefits of what we're doing now. And I was like, well, first yeah. I was like, that sucks, but then I was like, that's that's kind of noble. Like I I can get on board with that.
1: Well, I just I had somebody message me that I haven't worked with, and honestly, I don't even think I've talked to in over twenty years. And she saw something on LinkedIn that I was do I had like done this video or whatever. She saw it on LinkedIn, so she messaged me and she and during the rest of she was like I th- I think you're the age that I was when we first met like 20 like and and she's like I'm now you know here and she's and but the minute I saw her name all these like memories and advice that she had given me came flooding back and I That's and I cool. and I think it's really like when you talk about generation like you don't always even get to ever know the impact that you've had on somebody. Like I responded back with her. She was trying to say you're fan, like, like, I've been loving what you're doing and I'm responding back going, Oh my gosh, I'm partially on this, you know, this path because because of of what we did together. And, and, and like, you were a big influence. I'm never late because of what you've once told me, (laughs) she told me, she, she said uh, being late says, what she hears when somebody's late is that your time is more important than mine. And to yeah. this day, I still like like and but I didn't even think about who I attribute that to or anything until I saw her name. And so I'm responding. And so I think there's a lot of times when you are helping people, you don't even always get to know the impact you've made or yeah. the, the I mean, It's difference.
0: the same as coaching. Like you're gone before you they before they realize they should try what you suggested. Yeah. Um so I just to sort of maybe kind of wrap it or tie it back, I guess, if you're working with a leader who doesn't have that mission, like I can see where the absence of that would lead to a lot of the anti patterns that you point out in the book. And if they can't just like sit down and be like, this is what I'm going to spend my life trying to do. How would you help them? Or what advice would you give them to try to find that? Because I think if they have that, it leads to a lot of the stuff you're talking about. Just naturally. Yeah, but
1: it still doesn't make it easy. It doesn't. No, it's not easy. It's hard. Yeah. Um, But you have a
0: reason for going through the hard stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I often do the, when I find myself kind of wanting to make the choice that I know isn't probably, it's like, what is the possible consequences? What ifs, what's going to happen? Because there are days like people always go, well, if you're a servant leader, you should never give a command. No, there are times I still give a directive as a leader and I will do it again tomorrow. But I have to then understand what that's going to happen, what that means and what's going to come from that. And so I think through like, am I okay with the enforcement of my formal power here? What's the consequence of doing that? Um, Do I just need to be transparent about that and saying why I'm using that here and what I'm doing with this and um, and what that's going to mean? So I like thinking through the what ifs. It's kind of like an alternative. I, I had somebody teach me this and I wish I knew I could remember where it came from, but instead of the five whys, it's like, you know, what's the risk? So it's like, what's the risk if I don't do mm. it? What's the risk if I do do it? Like, and, and then asking that multiple times, because a lot of times what you'll find is that when you keep asking yourself that, you get to your deeper root need that's making you make that want choice wow. instead of maybe yeah. the one that you know you want to make and, or, or, or they, the yeah. fear that's holding you back. And so I will often ask myself, what's the risk? What's, what, what what's going to happen? Um, And and a lot of times, I mean, I did it with writing this book. What's the risk of writing this book? Well, people are going to say it's horrible and and I'm going to right like and I'm like, okay, well, what's the risk of that? (laughs) And and to keep digging into it to find what you're really most nervous about or what most concerned or what what safety you need to have so that you can proceed forward.
0: That's really good. I like that. I don't want to ask you any more questions. I mean, I do, but I don't want to like screw up the end of it. That was like really, really profound, and I'm already thinking of like stuff I'm dealing with. And I'm like, wow, I could spend like that would help me figure a lot of stuff out. Um, <laughs> so, what, was
1: that a Seinfeld episode where you are like you leave on a high like you just you drop the bike and you walk?
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I the the one thing that I wanted to, to just talk about before we go is I have the audio version, and I noticed that the audio version is specifically like, it's an audio version, like that you t- it's read for people to be listening as a. it's not read like it was a regular book, like you're talking to the listeners instead of readers. Um, is there much of a difference between the two is one better than like one would you prefer than the other for people to pick up?
1: Uh, there are visuals that are in the book we did a number of visuals in there that I do think the audio misses out on and 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 doesn't depict. Um, um, We made the book to be kind of a it's not a narrative book. It's not like just a story, right? It it is in a lot of of ways. Lots of
0: exercises and tools. There's exercise,
1: there's references, there's resources, there's just sections that we very intentionally, we didn't want to make it a workbook, but we didn't want to make it It's like half and half though. Yeah, we tried to balance. And so I do think that what I've been getting from people and and I, maybe it's my own personal confirmation bias as well, is that the people with the actual physical books, it's easier for them to go back and refer to things to bookmark things to Mm -hmm. go, I want to try that exercise or, or this is the specific, I really want to talk about inclusivity. And we're going to dive into this chapter. And I'm just going to stay on this chapter. And so I think the resource part of the, the, the yeah. Value that's in the book is a little bit more tangible for people with the physical book than the audiobook.
0: Okay. I'm listening to an another audiobook where at the end of each chapter the narrator and the the subject have a conversation about what he just read. And that's not in the print. Which is kind of an yeah. interesting artifact to add too. So OK,
1: well, and and we didn't actually know that the audiobook was coming out like the, So Barrett <laughs> Kohler was just on it and did it. And like so we like we were learning it as with everybody else.
0: <laughs> yeah, OK. We I was great I book- was sort of hoping that it was going to be one of the two of you reading it when I got it. And I was like, oh, all right. No,
1: Barrett Kohler was on it and they they had it out there. It's just we we didn't know. It's part of their publishing dynamic that they
0: OK, do. cool. So what if people want to get, well, if they want the book, they should go to Amazon or anywhere else you want them to look for it.
1: You can go to Bear Kohler. You can go to Amazon. I I believe that's also at like Target and Walmart and a number of different places. Bear Kohler really put it out there.
0: Okay. And if they want to track you down to ask you more questions or reach out for any of your leadership classes or consulting work or anything like that, what's the best way for them to find you?
1: Best way to reach me is probably on LinkedIn or at my website of www.igniteii.com for Ignite Insight and Innovation. Um, But LinkedIn is usually the easiest for people to find me, um, especially because they can see that photo right away.
0: Okay, cool. And I'll make sure we have links to all that. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And for coaching me in the middle of the podcast, too. That was cool.
1: (laughs) Well, it's really been... um, uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, Diana's done this so many times. And that was one of the benefits for me of writing the book with her yeah. uh, along with many benefits. Um, but uh, it's been probably one of my favorite things so far is is like this post area is seeing what stands out for people versus what I rant about or what Diana rants about. Yeah, Because we truly co-wrote this. There isn't a chapter that's Diana or mine, right? We truly co-wrote. And uh and so it's it's been the coolest part is is what stands out for people or what pe caused people to stop and 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 sometimes it's like a part of the book that we actually in my mind I'm like, God, we almost got rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> and and then other times are like, oh yeah. So it's 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 a different type of feedback, but also just an enjoyable experience for me to be able to have these kind of conversations with not just people, uh with people in general, but especially with people that, you know, I respect and adore.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. And everybody else, go buy the book. If you learn to work the old way, but the new ways is what you need. My jobs to make that switch from old to new. So-